Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Good morning. Well, we're wrapping up the first month of 2018 already. Well, you can believe that. And there's plenty to talk about. Uh, first off, in China, the ride-sharing service DD has begun using data from its roughly 25 million rides per day to give cities information to control traffic signals. And I guess that's just the start. The data can also be used for smart city development strategies. Pretty important here. Well, I think so. I mean, uh, I took this uh, one, uh, the number that they had been saying uh, up to recently was 20 million rides per day. Now it's 25 million. Uh, I don't know who's auditing them in terms of what the real number is, but whatever the real number is, <laughs> it's it's non-trivial. And, um, and uh, it's getting to be a point at which they have a view of what the mobility, real-time mobility uh, needs are of, um, of at least some major cities uh, such that uh, they might have, a, they might actually be able to, uh, uh, to anticipate uh, congestion and at least for their own account, uh, uh, do a better job of of rooting uh, their own um, uh, drivers, but also um, in the process uh, alleviating uh, congestion for uh, everybody else. Um, um, you know, the the real trick to all this is that um, it's not what the congestion is now; it's what the congestion is going to be when I'm at where I'm I'm currently driving. <clears throat> Which up to this point has been an enormously difficult uh, thing to to forecast. Um, it's 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 not stationary at all, and um, and uh, one at least uh, uh, would like to have a, a real time uh, view into uh, into what people are going to want to be uh, doing or where they're going to want to be at what point in time. And the interesting thing about what Didi has is that basically it's not only uh, when the person gets in the vehicle, they all they know the destination. I mean, the person d- divulges it. Otherwise, they don't get to where they're going. So they have that, but they actually have it uh, as soon as there's a request. But more importantly, as soon as they uh, assign a vehicle to that person, uh, then they basically know how that vehicle is going to get to that person and pick pick them up and then take them to their destination. So that's an enormously valuable view into the future that they have. And um, and if you now have enough of this, and uh, of course uh, the fundamental analytical question is how much is enough. And uh, 25 million uh, spread throughout China certainly isn't enough. Uh, but um, but if they grow 10 times to have um, 250 million uh, 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 trips a day, or even maybe you know come close to growing 100 times, 
uh, which if they're really going to be um, significant in providing mobility, they almost have to do. Of course, they'll probably all also need uh, driverless vehicles because you don't have enough drivers um, to perform um, that massive uh, amount of uh, of mobility. And if you replace every uh, every person that's driving for for him or herself with not a, now a, a driver, uh, that's basically almost a doubling of the population. Or, well, it's not really that, but it's an enormous number. So uh, this is this is really interesting. Um, the issue is is uh, whether or not uh, Didi is making these data available to everyone, keeping it for their own account, uh, and all the various other things. The implication is in, in the article is they say that in Jinan, which I guess I've been in Jinan, I think it's the twentieth twenty eighth largest city in 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 China or something like that. Yeah, it's probably bigger in New York uh, City. But um, um, uh, but uh, there, they're using it to uh, to sig- uh, to change traffic signals. Uh, okay, uh, that gets the traffic engineers involved. What's more important is, is how do you do uh, basically real-time routing of vehicles with uh, a proper anticipation of where the congestion is going to be. So basically, you distribute the... Uh, uh, the traffic throughout the network so as to minimize congestion. So, um, uh, and to do that, you need data and, uh, and they have a, a, a view at, uh, at starting to get the data for that. That's a long uh, answer to your question, but, uh, but that's why that, that's really important. Right. And for people who aren't familiar with the name Didi in, in this country, uh, they're really, China's version of, of Uber and Lyft kind of all combined, right? Uh, yes, they're Uber and Lyft combined. In fact, uh, you know, they competed. Uber tried to compete with them in China and then ended up uh, selling to Didi. And Didi's just gone into Brazil and Mexico, I believe. And uh, and maybe someday will come to the United States. So they are a, a serious competitor in this uh, in this uh, business of um of uh, on-demand uh, mobility being hailed using uh, a communications device. I, you know, I think it's the new transit. It's 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 mobility. If if you define transit as being mobility for everybody, uh, then they're out there offering mobility for everybody. So it is transit. But instead of doing it, um, you know, from a from a bus stop to a bus stop, uh, whenever the bus decides to show up. On some schedule, uh, uh, what all they what they do is, of course, uh, uh, try to do it uh, and serve you when you want to be served, uh, from where you are to where you're going. And so, it is a a real enhancement to mobility um, in the transit world. Well, that's a perfect segue into our next item here. Here in the U.S., uh, the meeting this month of the Transportation Research Board still generating lots of fodder. There was information provided by Bruce Scheller, a former deputy commissioner for the New York City DOT, showing that this spring, companies like Uber and Lyft, along with taxis, will carry more passengers than transit buses. And this, you point out, is is really a a precursor to the self-driving vehicle. Yes, it, I mean it just shows that that in fact there there are people out there that that really need mobility from where they are to where they're going at the time when they want to go, and un- unfortunately, uh, you know, 
uh, buses do do it, but you have to wait around and and you have to and they're not really uh, necessarily coming from where you are uh, to where you want to go. And so these services have come up and made it easy for people uh, to get that service. And when you look at, at the way it's being priced, it's somewhat affordable. Um, and, um, and so, in fact, there's been a great response. And part of the interesting things that are pointed out, and in, in, in th this is just data, <clears throat> shows that in the outer boroughs is where this is, this is uh, really um, uh, seems to be um, um, uh, catching on. Why? Because that's the places where buses don't give very good service. And in fact, there are still people who live that need to go from where they are to where they want to go when they want to do it. And so um, these uh, these systems have been basically coming out of the woodwork. Th this is quite different than, than jitneys uh, early on, basically uh, uh, running down along um, streetcar lines in Los Angeles in the 1920s or something like that siphoning off the the cream of the of the demand for for trolleys and 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 hastening their demise um uh it seems as if the, these systems are really operating out in well out in the periphery where people uh, don't have mobility offerings that are that are that are, have any uh good level of service and and so they've 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 discovered this and 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 by doing it, let's say you know from out of the out of the grassroots uh, with with gig workers, uh, it's offered the gig workers an opportunity to to feed their families, and it's offered um, offered the people there an opportunity to have mobility that they they haven't had before, or uh, to have it, it was extremely cumbersome and expensive. And so this ends up being a really good, um, uh, what I would call again a transit offering, and the transit companies should should embrace it instead of being fearful of it, or somehow um, you know um, being uh, being uh, uh, something that they now have to let's heaven forbid tax, so that you basically beat them down to to your uh, low level. Um, instead of instead of basically trying to enhance them and, and provide even more mobility uh, uh, to the people. So um, anyway, it's it's really interesting. And what's nice about the about the slides, and people should look closely at the slides. This is just hard data, and um, you know, um, for, take it for what it's what it what it's worth. It is hard data, and and absorb it. Really interesting, and there's a lot more to come. Obviously, you mentioned the gig workers, but then, then there's the component of when these vehicles are don't have the gig workers in them. Right on that line, as I mentioned with respect to Didi, Didi's offering 25 million trips a, a day in, in China. Well, great, but, but, you know, how many trips are taking place in China on, on a typical date? 250 million or 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 2.5 billion probably, uh, not 250, 2.5 billion if not more, and so they're still at the one percent level, and and to grow to to be able to to scale to to really provide 
um, a, a, a sub substantial mobility that's really going to make a difference. <clears throat> Uh, they have to grow. They have to grow by 10x, if not 100x. And, and there just aren't enough gig workers available to do that, I don't think. And so uh, the only way you can do it is, is through automation and driverless. And if you do the automation and driverless, you'll still have plenty of work for all the gig workers. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be such a big industry. Um, it's going to need plenty of workers. Maybe they'll need to be retrained, of course, and so on. And you'll need drivers, too. People need assistance and so on. Um, uh, what these systems are doing for, for paratransit or what has typically been paratransit uh, um, services, which uh, are just terrible levels of service. You have to schedule them, you know, maybe days in advance, give three-hour windows and so on. And I don't know what the what the number is for New Jersey Transit, but it's something like like uh, you know sixty dollars a ride or something like that that it costs New Jersey Transit to provide that service. Well, my goodness, uh, that's because some people need some assistance. Well, hey, uh, the current ones, the, the uh, current uh, DD or Uber Lyft drivers can provide that, and and so uh, there's going to be plenty of work for people to do. Uh, that's, I don't think that's, that's the issue at all. Terrific. Now, General Motors, uh, moving to another topic, is now facing a lawsuit filed by a motorcyclist following a collision with a cruise automated vehicle. Uh, the accident took place last month. In the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, you contend that uh, cases like this really are needed. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to go through this. Uh, this is this is uh, this is like you know, like childbirth or something. You, you have to you go through it. Um, um, you know, we did it through with uh, analog brakes. Uh, can you imagine uh, how many people who who um, after they got analog brakes on their car had a rear ender and blamed the analog brakes? Well, of course, you know, I tried to push hard on the brake pedal and it didn't stop. Oh my goodness, that's the fault, not me. Uh, and you know, finally, the science and the technology of it went to court and said, well, no, you know, uh, uh, pushing hard in the brake isn't the way to do it. You know, you want the coefficient of static friction is higher than the coefficient of sliding friction. Science wins. So in this, you know, science is going to win. I mean, uh, and uh, the data from the car is going to be out there and they're going to people are going to look at it. and They're going to say, whoa. You know, I guess the police re uh, report is correct or, or whatever it is. The data will be there to be able to assign fault. And um, and it will be clear cut and we'll go through a few of these things and uh, basically get the process down so that the, so that the courts aren't aren't just jammed with these. Um, and um, and but, but to that process, we have to go through it. And uh, this is the beginning of the process. And I think it's good. It's great that we got it started. And a lot of changes to come and the, the impact on the insurance industry, et cetera, when it comes to self-driving cars. Of course, of course. And I think uh, the the uh, idea with the cars not collecting data and making the data available now, you know, the privacy people will have to say, uh, we'll get in there and we'll have, be able to deal with the, what's private, what's what's just, you know, physics and facts and and um, and and be able to deal with it, but I think the courts just have to go through and, and through that process, and we'll have to pay the lawyers at least up front. But in the end, um, um, talk about somebody who's going to not have 
<laughs> who's going to need some work? It's probably the lawyers. Then there was a recent crash involving a Tesla Model S hitting a fire truck in California. The headline in Wired reads, people keep confusing their Teslas for self-driving cars. Uh, this is an issue other car makers face, too. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a tragic uh, crash, but I don't think that it is the fault, me personally, I don't think that it is the fault of the of the self-driving capabilities, there's a fault in the design of the automated emergency braking system, I believe. It is, it's the automated emergency braking system that should have stopped the vehicle from crashing into a stationary object. And, and the appalling element of those system is, uh, let's blame it on the Society of Automotive Engineers, but I believe that the design criteria for those systems are that that if the driver is not uh, does not activate the brakes, they won't brake until after it's too late, and so they they don't even work to avoid the the, the crash unless the driver activates the brake. Well, my goodness, if you're in either autopilot or if you're, you know, for not paying attention for whatever reason, that's what you need the automated emergency braking system for, is to deal with the situations when you don't touch the brake. And, of course, the, the reason why they're designed that way is because, I guess, in the past, the systems weren't very good. And as you passed underneath a a a bridge, uh, uh, you know, or an overpass, you know, the thing thought the overpass was at ground level and would all of a sudden put on the brakes and, and stop vehicles short of an overpass, then you can pass under. Uh, okay, um, those, those, that's the old system. Those systems shouldn't have been put in production. We need to be better at making these things so that they don't do the false alarm so that we, they, so that they actually work but not have them designed to not work. And and I hope that NHTSA, and it's looking at this crash, finally separates the issues here as to whether it's an issue associated with the, the self-driving capabilities or an issue so associated with the automated emergency braking uh, system. I think it was the same thing that happened to Joshua Brown in Florida, that in fact a truck cut him off, and it's the automated emergency braking system that you break for those things. Those systems must work before we get to self-driving. And unfortunately, the systems that are in the showroom now that we see maybe some commercials about, um, you know, actually don't work. They they don't work as advertised. They'll they'll do crash mitigation. They won't do crash avoidance. And that's just that's just terrible of the system and, and the fu fundamental design philosophy that exists on the system. And this is, this is a fatal flaw of the whole thing. And we better address it uh, sooner uh, uh, because otherwise we're not going to get the later. Is the technology here today to, to implement or how fast could it be done? Well, I, th I think that we uh, we just need to, the radars that are on there really have to be able to look to see whether or not the, you know, there's a 13-foot clearance or a 12-foot clearance or whatever clearance ahead. And, and if there is a, 
uh, and disregard that 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 uh, that object, and it's not at the road, and we're not going to crash into it. But if it's a if it's a truck or if it's a vehicle that's stationary um, uh, that all that all of a sudden appears, uh, the situation that the Tesla point points out is that that the that and, and also with respect to any intelligent cruise control, we're sitting there following a vehicle. That's ahead of us. Our radars know exactly how far that vehicle is ahead of us, what the relative velocity is, and everything's hunky dory. It's um, it's uh, it's controlling the throttle and brake properly. All of a sudden, the vehicle in front of us changes lane. So lo- no longer is that vehicle in front of us. Why did it change lanes? Because it saw ahead of it a vehicle or an entity that stopped. Okay, that's stationary, that's not moving, that's blocking, or it's a brick wall or, you know, whatever, whatever. That the vehicle in front of us moved out of the way. Apparently, the logic in the automated braking system then looks at that and says, my goodness, uh, uh, this may be a false alarm that there's actually something stationary ahead of us. Uh, therefore, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, maybe I'll put out a warning or something uh, to somebody, but, you know, uh, great. Thank you for warning me. If you, But nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing's there, nothing's there. Nobody's hitting the brake. And, oh, man, we should be hitting the brake, but the driver hasn't hit the brake. So I guess uh, this is a false alarm. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything. Oh, my goodness, it's like... Point, it's like one second before before collision. Oh, geez, let's put on the brakes now. Oh, but let's only put them on at fifty percent because we're still not sure. Boom. That is a poor design. Maybe one way to avoid accidents is to have lighter colored vehicles. There's a report in USA Today that says because of the way lidar works. Uh, LiDAR is a technology used in, in many self-driving vehicles, and we'll see how, how it shakes out in the future. But it detects light-colored vehicles around it better than dark-colored vehicles. So the article says car makers may be favoring those lighter colors. Oh, great. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I, if, what we if, if we're going to start talking about paint, what we need is paint that's on on the roadways that delineate the lanes, so that we can, you and I can see them, Fred. And then and then uh, and then uh, the whatever systems we'll put on there, we'll see them. We'll, we'll see them well too, uh, and and so on. And and you know how many vehicles are equipped with lidar right now in the uh, in the United States today? There's Certainly under a thousand. Okay, out of uh, you know two hundred and fifty million licensed vehicle, we have a thousand that that have lidar. Come on, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I don't know who writes this stuff, but I guess well, it sells. And, and anyway, the the competing or or complementing even technology uh, is cameras, and cameras perhaps can see darker vehicles better than. Then they can lighter. Sure, and then you and then the whole issue of what, what is you're, you're probably going to have a radar on it, and uh, what you're not going to want to make are cars that are stealth cars, so that they can hide themselves from radar, like our airplanes. I mean, uh, uh, but whatever. Uh, 
Uh, There's an idea for law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, hey, maybe General Motors will make a stealth car so that I don't get caught in uh, in speed traps. Best way to not get caught in speed traps is don't speed. And finally, uh, Apple has expanded its fleet of self-driving cars in California, registering uh, two dozen more with the State Department of Motor Vehicles. I guess it, it still isn't completely clear just what Apple's up to, what their strategy is. It's not, and they have some things out there, and they're still dabbling, and they they really don't say much, and 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 they they don't need to and you know and other people that don't say much is waymo waymo doesn't say much they don't they don't they they have a grand plan and so on but the details of of what they're going to be doing they're not out there um they're not out there really trying to convince anybody they're out there i think trying to convince themselves that that they're good enough to to get over that hurdle of taking that that Waymo driver or attendant out of the vehicle completely and getting to that driverless piece. And, uh, and since, uh, since they definitely know what they're doing, uh, uh, they, I'm sure have, uh, very solid plans as to how to then take that and, and commercialize that op, that opportunity. They, uh, they're they're not doing this just as a proof of concept uh, to write a research paper to put on my shelf or somebody else's shelf uh, and have three people read it uh, worldwide. Uh, they're doing this for for commercialization uh, purposes. Uh, they see it as a commercialization opportunity, and if you see this as a commercial op- uh, commercialization opportunity. You, you have to have plans as to how uh, you're going to bring it to the marketplace. Uh, just like Apple had its plans to be able to to uh, uh, to put into the marketplace an iPhone uh, and have the manufacturing all set up once they had the technology behind the device uh, to a point where they thought uh, it could survive in the marketplace. They, they were ready to roll that sucker out. And uh, you, you you have to assume uh, that that's that's what Waymo has been doing over the past uh, uh, five or more years is setting up the whole process uh, to commercialize this uh, and not to make do a research report uh, and at National Science Foundation like and stick it on some shelf someplace and say this will this is what we could have done. Um, they're setting it up to do it. Um, and they don't have to tell anybody about it until they're ready to say, here it is. Um, uh, let's go for a ride. Interesting. And when it comes to Apple, you know, there's still these, there are still rumors afoot and the analysts trying to push the possibility of Apple buying Tesla, which would be some deal if it ever did happen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I uh, sure. Uh, I mean, we read about this every every couple of months, and it happens right now that there are more stories saying it would make sense and this and that. Yeah, different it, it, different it people's opinions. It would make some sense, uh, but the issue is, is if you're going going to buy a, uh, an auto manufacturer, do you buy one in the United States? Do you buy one in China? Do you buy one in India? Do you buy one somewhere else? 
uh, where do you really do this? Uh, this this is a worldwide uh, market. Uh, this is not just a, a U.S. market. And and as we know, um, when Apple went out and did the iPhone, where was that manufactured? Uh, so um, and and to to get the scale. Um, uh, you need, you, uh, you really need to, to, uh, uh, to have, uh, something significant and what is scale in, in, in our looking, uh, uh, to provide, um, uh, uh, to, to make a difference, um, in, in the United States, you, you need, uh, you need uh, 10 million of these things out there at least. And, and still you're in the, you know, in the 10% of the market or, or low ten, tens of percents of the market of, of trips, and so the issue is 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 how do you get millions of these things out there re- relatively quickly, um, and um, and and uh, right now Tesla doesn't have the the manufacturing capability to even produce uh, their Model Threes uh, at a rate of of five thousand uh, uh, per month. Uh, which which gives you you know sixty thousand a year and 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 you you have to you want to be going out there maybe sixty thousand is good for the first year but the next year you've got to be up there you know next near a million because because once this starts working I think the rollout is is quick is fast and and just like the rollout for it's it's not as fast as that of the iPhone because you know. Every three-year-old has one, but um, but it's fast. It's um, might be. It's it's certainly within two orders of magnitude of that. And and Tesla doesn't have that. But maybe I don't know. What do I know? I'm you know I'm sitting here at Backwater University. <laughs> Back, Princeton certainly is the Backwater University. That's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.